things theology, all things theology. We chop it up properly without an apology. Gotta give doxology to God hollow because this is how we do it at all things theology. Yo, grace and peace, guys. Welcome to another episode of All Things Theology. I'm your host, K Dub, and man, I got an exciting one for you today. If you follow me on Facebook, if you've been following what I've been posting, well, it's mainly the last two, three weeks, I've been posting a lot about this issue of baptism and why I'm Baptist and why I'm not a Presbyterian. Before I get into that, let me say, if I was any other denomination besides Baptist, I would probably be Presbyterian. I owe a lot of gratitude to many Presbyterians in the growth and develop, development of my theology. Uh, majority of my books are probably <laughs> probably Presbyterian. Uh, I, I'm, I enjoy people like Meredith Klein, uh, G.K. Bill, R.C. Sproul, the list goes on. I jokingly made a comment, man, when it comes to academia, I, 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 I think I have to give a slight edge to Presbyterians. But when it comes to preaching, I mean, come on, man, Baptist got it on lock. <laughs> I mean, after all, the print of preachers, right, is for Baptists. I, anyways, <laughs> I'm joking, but man, yeah, I've been influenced a lot by Presbyterians. The development of my covenant theology, um, although I would argue there's some inconsistency with my Presbyterian brothers, nevertheless, I've learned a lot from Presbyterians. And so before I start off with this, with this episode of why I'm not a Presbyterian, why I am a Baptist, let me say there's no no hatred towards my Presbyterian brothers. And so hopefully they'll be gracious to me <laughs> as, uh, as I discuss this issue. So for me, it is not the mode of baptism which where I start at. Let me actually share some news that may be surprising to many of you guys. I actually am in a Presbyterian church. I've been attending this Presbyterian church for, oh boy, over six months. I am a member there. Um, and I am not convinced of the Presbyterian position. Um, I, like, I don't feel the need to qualify a thousand times that I do love Presbyterians and um, I'm thankful for them in many areas of my uh, theology, but on this particular issue, um, I'm not convinced. When I first started going there, uh, I think many people thought for me was the issue of mode, how you baptize. They, I, I think they thought many of them thought that was going to be the fundamental disagreement, like how you how baptize baptizing is, um, you know, done. And though that is a disagreement, that is not where I start off. For me, it's the mode, oh, sorry, it's the nature of the new covenant. And I'm going to lay out an argument for why I am a Baptist. After making a lot of Facebook posts, a lot of people asking questions, had people messaging me saying, hey man, I'm really convict conflicted. I think I'm Baptist, but a lot of Presbyterians' arguments seem to make sense. But, man, now that you're saying this, that makes sense. So there are very, a lot of people are confused. And I think a lot of people are confused on this issue. Um, so I said, hey, 
I'm going to make a video on why I am Baptist and what convinced me. No, for me, it was not growing up in a Baptist church. I kind of grew up Pentecostal Baptist were, you know, it was a bunch of everything. <laughs> and so it wasn't like this was something that was nailed home when I, um, when I grew up in a, you know, Christian church. No, for me, this took study. To me, I was willing to embrace the Presbyterian position if I saw it line up with the Bible. And after conclusion of study, I do not see that it uh, is consistent with the Bible. So let's get into it. Let's, let's actually get into some text. Let me say this. I hope you have your Bibles open, guys, because this is going to be a Bible-saturated podcast. This will be a Bible-saturated episode, okay? So have your Bible open. First text we're going to go to is Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Now, um, for me, this is one of the strongest texts about the nature of the new covenant. I mean, that's it's literally talking about a new covenant that God is going to bring forth. Okay, so. Behold, this is verse 31 of chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with them, with their for, with their fathers on that day, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So, very strong text here on the nature of the new covenant. Let's, let's dissect this. Let's first, let's start really at verse 33 because that's where i really believe this text gets interesting and for me convince me of the baptism baptist position rather than the presbyterian position and allow you i'll you guys will see my train of thought once i go deeper through this text so verse 33 god's talking about he's going to bring a covenant with the house of israel because the lord and before we start to say, well, see, it, this is only going to be a ethnic, ethnic Jewish thing. Not so fast, my friends. Not so fast. Because this text is also quoted in Hebrews chapter 8, 8 through 13, speaking to the body of Christ. So if, if that's the argument you want to go, I mean, you would have to essentially say that Gentiles aren't in the new covenant. And that's. If that's where you want to go, okay, sure. I, I mean, not sure, but I think that's a very uh, dangerous position to hold. But nevertheless, God says of those in the, this, this new covenant, he says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. This is law transforming language, right? And, and the Presbyterians love this part. I will be their God and they shall be my people, right? Covenantal language, absolutely. God's saying he's going to make a new covenant. But notice the descriptors Let's, in verse 34 that it says of the uh, nature 
of the people in the new covenant. Verse 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. So this is, this is I mean, further language of the people of God being guided, one, by the spirit of God and the law of God. Right. In some sense, I, I, and, and I'm sure many of you can relate when you first became a believer. There were a lot of things that nobody told you that you immediately knew you shouldn't do anymore. Right. I mean, I, I had that same experience. And that's what this text is kind of speaking of that. Um, the, and, and one says that the spirit is the ultimate teacher. Right. Because this look. For they shall all know me, right? That, that's salvific language. They shall all know God. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. I mean, even more specific language, like just in case. Well, it's not all in the specific. No, from all, from the least to the greatest. Everyone in that. For I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. <laughs> I mean... So in, in one sense, you can say this. Everyone in the new covenant has their sins forgiven. Now, here's why I'm not a Presbyterian. If you know anything about the Presbyterian position is that there are unregenerate people in the new covenant. You have children, right? Whether, whether a Presbyterian wants to say, hey, baptism places them into the new covenant or the product of being, uh, you know, children of believing uh, parents. However you want to phrase this, I think it still applies. At the end of the day, you have unregenerate people in the new covenant. But according to Jeremiah 31, according to Hebrews 8, no, you don't. <laughs> Everyone in the new covenant can say, my sins are forgiven. If they have truly been blood-bought and redeemed. And so, starting off right there, I mean, it, it's very explicit. This this was these this was one of the the heavy hitting texts that convinced me to be a Baptist over and against, um, you know, Presbyterian. So why baptism, right? Why baptism? This this baptism analogy is used through all all, all of Scripture. You look at First Peter uh, three eighteen. Let's let's go over just two examples of a. Uh, baptism in the in the bible and what it points to because um many um well many presbyterians will say that baptism is the fulfillment ultimately of circumcision and we're going to get into that later but i do not believe that's the case my argument is that baptism or sorry circumcision is ultimately fulfilled or it's yeah, yeah, the, the sign is regeneration. And baptism points to you actually being in Christ. That's my argument. We'll, we'll develop that a little more. But 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism corresponds to this. You see that? 
the baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what is baptism? What is the correspondence? I believe that he's pointing you out really what he talked about in verse 18, the death and resurrection in Christ. That's what it, that's what it means. When you go under, right, and just another uh, analogy even to immersion. Uh, but like I said, this isn't, this isn't mainly about that, right? Dying to self, being raised to Christ, right? Not this removal of dirt from the body, but it's an appeal to God for the good conscience. This is, I mean, regeneration. That's what it, that's, that's what it, that's what it corresponds to, Right? Another text, Romans 6, 1 through 6, or 1 through, yeah, we'll see. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in that grace that, continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, question for my Presbyterian brothers. Notice what Paul says. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Can, can we say that about children who have not come to know the Lord? Because the assumption is that people are believing when they get baptized. Okay? It says, we, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So what is the point of baptism? It is an introduction into the newness of life. You were saying, hey, I'm no longer that old man. I am a new man now. For if we have been united with him, check this out, even stronger language. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, which the baptism is representing, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Wow. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So very strong language. And, I, and I've seen Presbyterians go to this text to actually try to prove their position. But I'm like, this text actually is a defeater in my, in my opinion. This is all about the new life. The new life in Christ. That's what baptism is pointing to. Now let's let's deal with this issue of circumcision. Because I know many of my Presbyterian brothers um, believe that circumcision actually, you know, is or baptism or circumcision is uh, pointing to baptism. Baptism fulfills circumcision. But I don't believe so. Let's deal with this issue of circumcision. Romans 2, 28 and 29 says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. You see that? Circumcision is not just outward and physical. But look, look at the correlation. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit, not by the letter, that is by the law. 
his praise is not from man, but from God. So it's not man conducting this. It's what God is doing. So ultimately, what, what is this talking about? Circumcision is a heart issue. It's a heart deal. And what is this ultimately reflected of? Baptism? No. No. Regeneration, my friends. That's the inward inward reality. Not Baptism is still outward. Baptism is still physical. And just in case, and, and that was the point of baptism all along. That's been the point. It was never to be seen as something just merely outwardly. So look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, verse 6. It says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. So, I mean, very plainly, the circumcision that happened physically is to reflect a spiritual reality. I mean, right there. What does the circumcision of the heart cause you to do? It causes you to obey God. It causes you to love God. I mean, very plainly. Circumcision is, is, is and and so let me let me say this because I know it'll come up. No, I'm I'm gonna address that later. I'm gonna address it later because it's gonna come up later. So, so, what is this all about? What is circumcision all about? It's to point to the the new covenant reality, which is regeneration. Regeneration, my friends. And that is the new covenant sign. That's it right there. The new covenant sign. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 speaks of this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. You see this very uh, uh, language that, that we've already been talking about, like, the spirit, the new heart causes you to obey. And I remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. Shall be my people and I will be your God. My friends, this is covenantal language. Whenever you see this, you shall be my people and I shall be your God. That is covenantal language. And just in case it wasn't even more clear, verse 29, and I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. This, so everyone in the new covenant can say this. They can say this. <laughs> Regeneration is a reality for everyone in the new covenant. Jesus uses this language of, in John chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and a spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Presbyterians, have your children entered into the, into the kingdom of God? I mean, according to Jesus' words, if they have not been born again, they have not entered the kingdom of God. What is this about, friends? It's about the superiority of the new covenant. And I know many Presbyterians would agree. 
but I believe we disagree. We we agree for different reasons. Because many Presbyterians say, yeah, the new covenant is better. It's it's brought by Christ, not Moses. And yes, that is definitely true. One of the arguments that the author of Hebrews makes is that the superiority of uh, the why the new covenant is superior is because yes, we have a better mediator. But my friends, if we have stopped there, we have missed the point of why the new covenant is better. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 22 through 25 says, This makes Jesus the guarantor, guarantor, guarantor of a better covenant. So, right there, right? Jesus is, right? He guarantees a better covenant. Verse 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office. So it refers to Jesus' eternality, right? He, he, I mean, this is what the next verse says. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever, right? But notice what it says here. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So, yeah, yeah the new covenant is better. Because he who enacts the covenant, the new covenant, but also of the ability of the one who enacts their covenant. His, his, his uh, ability to save. Um, let's look at Hebrews 9 real quick. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> this is kind of a lengthy text, so bear with me. Hebrews 9. Start at verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. We've already established that he's the better mediator of a new covenant as well. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. It's the death that occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For will takes effect only at death, since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it as alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was not inaugurated with blood. So speaking about why Jesus had to die, why he had to shed blood. Um, verse 23. Let's go to verse 23. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than these. For Christ has entered into the holy place, not made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven, itself not to appear in the presence of now to appear in the presence of god on our behalf i mean and then to end it off with with verse 28 so christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who eagerly wait for him amen but this issue of christ being a better establishing a better covenant has to do with him saving those who are actually in it i believe um, I mean, think because you know many people try to say, well, the parallel with Moses, uh, the the old covenant is that the old covenant signed circumcision. Not everyone was in the, uh, not everyone in the uh, old covenant was saved, and so the the new covenant would be exact parallel of that in that sense. And while I'm saying no, the new covenant is better because the better mediator and the better promises it has i mean that's literally what one of the arguments hebrews makes the better promises it has that everyone in the new covenant is actually 
saved. They, they're born again. I mean, we, we've read the text. We read Jeremiah. We read in Hebrews. We read John 3. We read 1 Peter 3. So many texts speak of this reality that the new covenant members have been born again. They're in the kingdom of God. And so maybe you're still not convinced as a Presbyterian. Okay, I get it. But hopefully that we can get to the issue of this actual issue. Because oftentimes I, I don't find the issue being get at, got, gotten at. Because, you know, like I said, I've had conversations with people in my church. And oftentimes you're like, well, you know, you're bringing up this issue of like, hey, the nature of the new covenant, everyone in the new covenant. And it oftentimes just reduced to, well, the response all the time is, well, I don't believe that the new covenant saves. Or, or sorry, I don't believe that baptism saves. And I'm like, I, I'm not saying you do, you believe that. That's not addressing the argument that I am bringing. And so, um, baptizing your child doesn't make them more savable. Like, it's they, they got a better chance at it. I mean, oftentimes, man, I, I'm not going to lie. I, sometimes my Presbyterian brothers don't argue like they reform when it comes to this issue. <laughs> and so... Um, I, I I was told once, how, how would I even discipline a child if I didn't believe they're in the new covenant? And I'm like, I mean, what do you mean I can't teach a child or spank a child or unless I believe they're in the new covenant? I mean, I don't I don't get that argument. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm Baptist based on these theological convictions, uh, these texts here. Um, these are some of the strongest appeals that convince me. Um, Jeremiah 31 is very strong, um, and there's other texts as well um, that I, like I said, I didn't want to make this lengthy, but I wanted to get to, to show, hey, the Bible's very, I, I believe, very strong and explicit on this issue of the nature of the new covenant. Who, who, and so my, the argument for the Baptist, the argument for the Reformed Baptist, the argument for me is, wh what is the nature of the new covenant, and who is in the nature of the new covenant, Right? Sorry, who who is in the new covenant? Is it is it um, believers only, or is it believers in their children, which will be believers in unregenerate people? Right. I mean, I just don't. I haven't seen anyone adequately answer um, Jeremiah thirty one, and I've listened. I've listened to some of my academic uh, friends on this. Uh, I've, I enjoy Lane Tipton. I've listened to him answer this text, and honestly, I did not see it consistent with some of the other argumentation he made. He was not, in my in my opinion, he was not able to give a positive uh, presentation of Jeremiah thirty one. You know, and so, like I said, I still respect him. I still respect many pre Presbyterians, um, but um, I just don't think there's a consistent consistency when it comes to. Uh, covenant theology and this and I, and I know I have dispensational friends who say well I'm the one not being consistent and soon enough I'll be Presbyterian well okay that you can you can make that argument <laughs> but as of now I am dogmatically Baptist <laughs> and actually going to a Presbyterian church has made me more convinced of the Baptist position by seeing their arguments understanding what they believe about baptism and the nature of the new covenant and all these issues has made me actually more Baptist in my position. I, I know there's Presbyterians who uh, subscribe to my channel, subscribe to the podcast, and I want to say thank you 
Thank you for the support. I hope you still <laughs> hope you still supporting me and, and caring for me and praying for me after this podcast. I, I would hope you would not see this as a um, dividing line, gospel dividing line. Okay, maybe denominational. Okay, I understand, um, but hopefully not in that sense. I know there's some Presbyterians out there who are kind of treat Baptists like stepchildren or like distant cousins. Uh, you know, like yeah, y'all saved, but y'all are. Y'all are, you know, the annoying cousin that would come over at holidays, you know. <laughs> I've experienced that, you know. And so, um, man, I hope this was helpful. Even if you disagree. Even if we disagree, friends. I hope this was helpful to see where I come from, to see my, my you know, I try to be biblical. Hopefully you see my biblical reasons on why I'm a Baptist. And if you're a Baptist, I hope, and maybe you're not like, you're like, wow, okay, I'm Baptist, but I didn't even know why I was Baptist. Well, I hope, hope this like helps, helps you in your study of, of actually knowing why you're a Baptist and knowing why you believe what you believe and, and going deeper in the word. And like I said, I, I was Baptist for a long time and I didn't know what that meant, you know, but now I'm convincingly Baptist, not just because of growing up in a Baptist home or, well, that was the first church I had just attended. No, I, I believe the Bible. Um, and, and like I said, I don't want to sound insulting and say Presbyterians don't. Like I said, I want to be as gracious as possible. For me, I believe that the Bible is more consistent with the Baptist position on this point. That doesn't mean I agree with every Baptist church and how they do baptism and how things are conducted. This is solely what I'm getting at, okay? Just the nature of the new covenant. And so hopefully, guys, this was helpful for you. Hopefully, it encourages you, whatever position you land on, to uh, study the Bible more and more in depth. So thank you guys for watching. Hey, until next time, grace and peace.